0: Yes, like the waitresses in their 1982 rock classic, we, too, look around and observe that we really got a problem here. But uh, like the band, we're also planning to not quit. So after a hiatus, here we are again. Our recent shows have been confined to speaking with some some excellent guests, Greg Palast, Stephen Harper. We do want to note that it looks like we are going to be able to add to that distinguished uh, group... Craig Unger in the not-too-distant future. I have gotten a hold of his book American Compromot and read it cover to cover and think that we have some things in there to discuss, believe you me. So hopefully we'll get to that in the next couple of shows. Having not done a regular radio parallax type program for quite some time now, months, uh, used to do on every program, which was introduce a quote and equip, throw in some stats, and then at some point add the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's start with some quotes slash quips, shall we? For this, we're going to go to our backlog of the week magazine that dates back to November. We have a few that are relative to our uh, COVID pandemic, like the statement of the ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who said, it is disease that makes health sweet. There's some truth in that. And as regards the battle over facts and, and, and pseudo facts that's uh, still raging in this country over COVID. We would cite the immortal Algus Huxley, who once said, facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. And in this era of so much charlatanism, we like uh, the words of author Andre Gide, who said, believe those who are seeking the truth, doubt those who find it. I mean, like the quote from writer Rex Stout, which was that, of course, the advantage of being a pessimist is a pessimist gets nothing but pleasant surprises. An optimist, nothing but unpleasant. And how about this from Leonard Bernstein? To achieve great things, you need a plan and not quite enough time. And finally, a favorite we've used before from economist John Kenneth Galbraith, which is that meetings are indispensable when you don't want to do anything. Here's some stats. recent poll by Civics notes that a majority of all demographic groups now say they are likely to get vaccinated except one. That would be white Republicans. Only 33% of white Republicans said they will definitely take the vaccine, which is a higher rate of hesitancy than found among blacks or Hispanics. Here's one from January that's sobering. 74% of Americans believe democracy is under threat. It certainly was on January 6th. Here's one that gives me pause. 56%, just 56% of Americans think that President Trump was responsible for inciting the mob at the Capitol. That includes 94% of Democrats and 80% of Republicans yet 80% of Republicans think Trump shouldn't be blamed. And although Trump left office tying his lowest favorability rating, which was back in August 2017, of just 33%, the fact is 71% of Republicans continued to approve of him. That came from Quinnipiac University, which also noted last month that 55% of Americans think Trump should not be allowed to hold public office ever again, despite his acquittal during impeachment, his second impeachment. 43% of Americans disagree. ABC News Ipsos took a look at, Amer- at the impeachment of Trump and noted that 58% of Americans think that Trump should have been convicted at his impeachment trial. That includes 88% of Democrats, 64% of independents, but just 14% of Republicans. Here's one that really upsets me. 56% of Americans thought there was strong evidence that Trump incited the insurrection. I would, what I would I would, say only 56%, while 37% said the evidence of that was weak. And according to the Washington Post, former President Trump's insistence that the, tw- and it feels good to say that, it's the first time he said that, former President Trump's Insistence that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from him cost taxpayers at least, at least $519 million. That includes the cost of sending National Guard troops to Washington, D.C., defending against lawsuits, security for poll workers who faced death threats, and repairing damage to our nation's capital after the January 6th insurrection. Yes, I have to say we find some of these percentages a, a little disturbing, I was also disturbed to note that someone I knew years ago uh, attempted to friend me on social media, and when I pulled up the profile in question to refresh my memory, I noted that it was reporting on the fact that supposedly the New York Times had to admit, it implied to its chagrin, that the killing of, of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick on the January 6th putsch was not related to him being smashed On the skull with a fire extinguisher. The implication was you see what that liberal media does twisting things around? The New York Times also reported that the assailant of police officer Sicknick was captured on video spraying him with bear spray in the face. It appears the officer died of a stroke, and it's, I think, should be fairly obvious that a healthy individual generally doesn't suddenly die of a stroke. But that the odds of that possibility would increase if you were sprayed in the face with bear spray. Anyway, I I did not confirm our friendship. Anyway we have a huge backlog of items we might describe as good, bad, and ugly, so let's 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 do some of those. Let's do quite a few of those. <laughs> the week. It was a good week last week for diplomacy after the Japanese government asked China to stop testing Japanese tourists for COVID using anal swabs. The efficacy of the tests has not been confirmed anywhere in the world, said a Japanese official, and they cause, quote, great psychological pain, unquote. And yes, I looked it up. It's true. The Chinese are using anal swabs. So, if you are determined to do some foreign travel in your future, I, I hope you will factor that in. And it was a bad week, we'd have to say. This was again last week for what the week is calling Low Blows, with the news that the far right Newsmax network ran a segment accusing Champ, President Biden's 12 year old German shepherd, of, quote, looking dirty and, quote, unquote, unpresidential. And going back a couple of weeks, we have this n- news that it was an ugly week that week for fresh starts with the news that police charged Marcus Goodman in Spokane, Washington with a carjacking just 20 minutes after he was released from jail, where he had been imprisoned for carjacking. Boy, I guess old habits die hard. Anyway, let's cycle back to good news. It was, a, it was some good news a few weeks back. In this case for children, after a bill was introduced in North Carolina's state legislature that would raise the state's legal marrying age from 14 to 18. GOP State Representative Jason Stain said, This state has disturbingly become a tourist destination for those looking to marry children. You broke my does remind me of a joke Johnny Carson did many, many years ago. He was making fun of the slogans on license plate brackets for different states. You know, like California's the golden state, Florida's the sunshine state. Carson referred to Arkansas as America's child bride breadbasket. Anyway, about the same time a couple weeks ago, it was a bad week for, you'd have to say, stopping the steal. After sharp eyed TV viewers spotted Michael Vanderveen a personal injury lawyer who was defending former President Donald Trump in his impeachment trial, pocketing three U.S. Senate drink coasters at the conclusion of the proceedings. And it was an ugly week early last month for Brave New Worlds with Elon Musk's announcement that scientists at his Neuralink startup has successfully given a monkey a wireless brain implant that lets it play video games by the sheer power of thought. Said Musk, he looks totally happy. We'll have more to say about Elon Musk in a minute or two. But before we bag on Elon, let's use the the segue. And speaking of Elon Musk and monkeys, which is one we, I'm pretty sure, never used before, but Real notes may use again, is the news from India, as reported by The Guardian newspaper, which is that the long-tailed macaques who roam the Uluwatu Temple in Bali are notorious for stealing items from tourists and holding them to ransom for food. Scientists have now discovered that these cheeky monkeys are even smarter than they look. They learn over time which items are most valuable to the visitors and demand more food for higher value loot. And what's more, this ability to barter improves with age and experience. After researchers filmed interactions between the macaques and tourists for 273 days, they found that for low-value items, the monkeys were more likely to accept a small snack. But for cell phones, prescription glasses, and other expensive gear, the bargaining took several minutes until a sufficient food ransom was agreed upon. And this article is, (laughs) is accompanied by a photograph of a macaque holding a laptop. Turns out the longest wait before an item was returned took 25 minutes, including 17 minutes of negotiation. And by the way, if you own Tesla stock, you may be interested to know that Elon is deciding to make a big digital wager on the Bitcoin. He's apparently bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin and will begin accepting it as payments. I guess we'll all see where he, where he goes with that bit of speculation. And And, you know, it occurs to me, some that there's something really wrong with with an economy or I get maybe it's economists or I don't know bean counters that take a look at the value of a company like Elon Musk's Tesla and say that it's worth considerably more than General Motors this valuation is based on number of stock shares times stock price even though General Motors sells at least seven times as many cars as Tesla and I would imagine it's more like 70 but I saw the figure seven so how can this be are economists that stupid? The listener is free to fill in his own answer to that rhetorical question. All right, we do want to note that it was a good week. According to him, the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, who announced that he was happy that Dominion Voting Systems had sued him for $1.3 billion. Lindell says the suit will enable him to prove his claim that Dominion's voting machines were rigged against Donald Trump. In a related story it was a bad week a few weeks back for what you might call cancel culture with the news that One America News Network deleted articles from its website claiming Dominion Voting Systems had rigged its voting machines to steal votes from President Trump. These deletions came after the company sued Rudy Giuliani for $1.3 billion. You know, that term cancel culture is certainly in vogue right now as, uh, as people, and we'll talk about that in a bit but it's always pointing to the liberals and, and their efforts to uh, to rein in the people they don't like. I did see a very funny meme someone sent to me recently uh, saying, speaking of cancel culture, it included a picture of the Dixie Chicks, as you may or may not recall, uh, were subject to a boycott by conservatives for their criticism of George W. Bush. And others, of course, have pointed out that People shouldn't get on too high a horse throwing out that term cancel culture when it appears that the same group of people attempted to cancel the 2020 election on January 6th, to say nothing of the efforts that have been made to cancel the people that tried to rein in President Trump, those 10 congressmen and seven senators that had the courage to speak out against him and vote against him, these being Republicans after all. Now, back in January, we'd have to say it was a good week for speaking truth to father, after James Murdoch, son of Fox News owner Rupert Murdoch, said he hoped the Capitol insurrection would persuade certain, quote, media property owners, unquote, to repudiate the toxic politics they have promoted. Speaking of the Capitol insurrection, it was a bad week about the same time last month for taking the stand with the news that the lawyer for Adam Johnson, who was arrested after the Capitol riot, You've seen the picture. He was the guy carrying off uh, Nancy Pelosi's lectern. His lawyer agreed it, quote, could be a problem for his defense, said attorney Dan Eckert. I'm not a magician. And we have to know that it was an ugly week for reality. With the story from mid-December that former Trump advisor Roger Stone said he had, quote, absolute incontrovertible evidence, unquote, that North Korea smuggled fraudulent badge ballots into the U.S. on ships via, quote, a harbor in Maine, unquote. Anyway, I think I'll hold a few in reserve for next week. We're always looking for some good news items to, to talk about on this program. And of course, we're talking about politics. That's, that's pretty tough to do. Though not completely. Here's one item that we, we have to cite. Over at the Voice of America, there was a sweeping ouster of Trump officials on Biden's first full day in office. Turns out only hours after it was inaugurated, Biden forced out Michael Pack, the controversial head of the agency that oversees VOA and for other networks that broadcast news to millions of people abroad. This was followed domino-like on the following day by the removal of VOA's director and deputy director after only a few weeks on the job. In doing this, Biden appeared to be putting the brakes on what critics said was an effort by the Trump administration to turn the news agency into mouthpieces for Trump's views and policies. As you may recall, I think we did mention in this program, uh, PAC, a Trump appointee, created a trail of scandal, lawsuits, and acrimony in the eight months since he became chief executive of the news agency's parent, which is the U.S. Agency for Global Media. And that, dear listener, is some good news on the political front. But let's let's go to the world of science, which is uh, an ever-flowing fountain of cool stuff, and take a look at the fact that NASA has done it again, put down a rover on the Martian surface. After an incredibly complex series of maneuvers involving parachuting through the Martian surface, firing retro rockets, uh, dropping off a heat shield lowering via a quote-unquote sky crane down toward the Martian surface, cutting loose a tether to drop the rover in place. Well, what do you know? We're in the Jezero Crater. If you take the time to do a web search for the Jezero Crater, and I I hope you will, dear listener, you will notice that it unmistakably appears to contain a river delta on its western edge. There seems to be no doubt that the crater was many millions, in fact, billions of years ago, a lake, a Lake Tahoe-sized body of water that existed for presumably a few million years. If you're going to look for life, this is a really good spot to do it. And they took along a helicopter. And I don't know, if you're not excited at the prospect of getting a, 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 a quadcopter or helicopter or whatever you want to call it, drone view of some Martian landscape where ancient flooding took place, well... I don't know what to say, but uh, I don't know. You must have dialed us in by mistake. Anyway, we expect great things from this rover and uh, and its accompanying uh, chopper. And frankly, can't wait to see the pictures. The ones they have beamed back already are pretty stunning. They certainly look consistent with areas that experienced a mega flood. And look like nothing so much as that area in eastern Washington state known as the Scablands. Mars apparently underwent similar events uh, of, of, a much, of a much greater volume of water very early in its history. Um, there are no oceans or, or, or surface water left on Mars, except for little droplets that may appear from time to time. But we know for sure there's plenty of ice below the surface. The water didn't just go away. A lot of it is still there. That's the premise. As the cool stuff comes in, we'll, we'll try to keep talking about it. On the less cool front, we have this. The world's two richest men, or at least maybe two out of the top three, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, are battling for space supremacy. Musk has already put 955 satellites in orbit for its Starlink network and plans to launch thousands more. In spite of the fact that uh, that low Earth orbit is already a crowded neighborhood and will, you know face the risks of more and more satellites crashing into one another and putting more junk in space, it'll actually make it problematic to go up into space. Nobody seems to be telling Bezos and and Musk that that they can't do this. In fact, all the tech companies are broadcasting how 5G is going to make all of our lives so much better. So what if your view of the night sky all around planet Earth is now light polluted with these satellites spinning around? Astronomers are troubled by this. Based on current plans, an observatory in Chile noted that it would see roughly 1,000 satellites in the sky at twilight and 400 in the middle of the night, which is 50 to 100 times more than what is seen now. And of course, last July, Amazon's $10 billion project Kuiper received formal approval from the FCC to begin launching 3,236 satellites rivaling the total number of currently active satellites orbiting the earth. Of course, you'd have to circle back to the fact that if Musk uh, thinks this is, you know, something he's just going to do as part of his 5G network, what happens when he comes up with a 6G network? And no, we cannot confirm that the monkey with the implant in his brain is part of that plan, but we have suspicions. After all, said Elon, after putting the implant in, the monkey looked happy. Now, Mr. Millen does have a suggestion for the macaque that they steal the 5G network and then bargain with Musk to get it back, but we don't know how that's going to go. And here's a part I like. As, as they talk about this, uh, this effort to put all these satellites up into space, how wonderful it's going to be, they're simultaneously talking, as was The Economist magazine in January, about how efforts to remove dangerous debris from orbit around the Earth are gaining steam. Well, we certainly hope so, because there's about to be a lot more dangerous debris up there. Anyway, let's change gears. We at this program are certainly hoping that there will be some changes of policy that have been put in place during the Trump years. We really urge the new administration to knuckle down and be tough and do what it must do. And yet, in the wake of talking about how the nation could benefit from a $15 an hour minimum wage, it's starting to look like that might not get anywhere. And as you know, dear listener, if you tuned into our shows with Stephen Harper and Greg Pallast, this country is facing some real trouble in future elections as regards voter suppression. In places like Georgia, where the Senate surprisingly flipped to being 50-50 courtesy of two wins by Democrats in special elections, the Republican Party has swung into action trying to make sure that that doesn't happen again. In Georgia, as, as elsewhere, lawmakers are rolling out an aggressive slate of voting legislation that critics argue, obviously, the critics argue is tailored to curtail the power of black voters and undo years of work by Stacey Abrams and others to increase engagement among people of color. Political columnist Will Bunch, who writes for the Philadelphia Inquirer, noted that the Selma Marches for Civil Rights took place in Alabama. Back in 1965, it was one of the most successful actions in U.S. history. It would allow 740,000 new voters in the formerly segregated states of the Deep South to register in the first three years and blazed the path for the election of hundreds of Black and Latin candidates in the years to follow. Noted Bunch, in 2021, a slow-moving Selma is unfolding in state houses from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Phoenix with Republican lawmakers using a falsehood so monstrous that critics were right to call it the big lie, even with its echoes of Nazi Germany, racing to roll back voting rights at a faster pace than any time since the Jim Crow laws of the late 19th century. Said Bunch, like LBJ did on March 15th, 1965, it's time for Biden to address the nation, either in congressional joint session or more practically in an Oval Office address to be carried by all the TV networks. Where he needs to dramatically raise public awareness of what is happening right now in America's state houses as GOP legislators engage in an arms race to all but end mail-in voting, cut polling place days and hours, or impose onerous ID requirements. He must expose that this is done not to fight fraud, which is virtually non-existent, but to thwart valid voters with the goal of helping an increasingly minority party cling to power. Said Bunch, the only way for this status quo change is if Biden enjoying the popularity of a new president with the bully pulpit and his moral authority of the White House behind him to use those unrivaled powers to win over the reluctant. There's more than one way to do that. LBJ was a master of funding new dams or interstates in the right districts. But for Biden in the 21st century, the best route is to appeal to the American majority and to make ending voter suppression the moral equivalent of war. And yet, I look at a summary of some of this in the Week magazine, which tries to play both sides, which is why the magazine is popular. You can find an opinion in there you like, no matter where your opinion lies. And they, they put this under the headline, Elections, from their February 19th issue. Elections, should it be easier or harder to vote? The we Week quoted Ari Berman in Mother Jones as noting that, Horrified by the record turnout that powered Joe Biden's narrow victory in swing states, GOP lawmakers in 28 states have introduced 106 separate bills restricting citizens' access to the ballot box. If enacted, the bills would curtail early and absentee voting, impose more stringent voter ID requirements, reduce the number of polling places and ballot drop boxes, eliminate automatic or same-day registration programs, and make it easier for Republican officials to purge voter rolls of Democrats. Writing in the Atlantic.com, Ronald Brownstream notes that Democrats can't block these anti Democratic measures at the state level, given that seventeen of those twenty-eight states are under full Republican control. But the United States House is poised to pass HR one, or the For the People Act, which would mandate automatic voter registration in every state along with unlimited absentee voting and 15 days of early voting. The bill would also prohibit extreme gerrymandering and so-called dark money campaign funding, good luck with that, while restoring voting rights to ex-felons. Republicans will no doubt filibuster the bill, so unless Democrats can persuade all of their 50 senators to abolish the filibuster, expanding voting rights is done on arrival. Well, again, let's hope they rise to the occasion, eh? Anyway, the minute or so we have left, I wanted to refer back to a piece that was in BillMoyers.com back in the summer, talking about the pricing of, of Gilead and others for their COVID drugs and noting that 25 years ago when the Clinton administration rescinded a rule that required pharmaceutical companies to charge Americans reasonable prices for medicines developed at government expense, some progressive lawmakers tried to reinstate the rule, but Republicans and Democrats joined together to halt those initiatives. Don't have time to go into this at great length, but I do note that someone gave me a call last week requesting a prescription for erythromycin. I knew the patient in question and the medical issue, and could have certainly complied with this request, except that well, there was a pricing issue. Anyway, a friend called back and said we'll put the deal on hold for now because the best I can come up with is three hundred dollars for sixty. I have to say I was flabbergasted. This is a drug that's been generic for a generation. Anyway, here in American medicine, we have let the pharmaceutical companies rip us off. It is wrong. It should stop. And uh, I need a break. Let's take one. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.